0: Some of you know the story about how eight years ago God began placing Dubai on my wife and my heart after we stopped here on a layover. We stayed at a hotel there by the marina, and as we looked out from our partner church, we began feeling God's call on our lives to move here, to plant ourselves for decades. I remember one specific phone conversation uh, that I had one night in my apartment, And I was listening to a pastor here in the UAE on the other end telling me about opportunities to proclaim the gospel in the center of the city. He was telling us of the need for more gospel preaching churches here in Dubai. He was talking about the unreached people groups that were everywhere, about the fast rising population. and, And I could hear and feel my heart beating faster and faster as I got more and more excited about the possibility of ministering here. And Gloria came over and listened in on some of that phone conversation. She got pretty excited too. And now this is a, a true story. She, during that conversation, went out to our bedroom and she uh, grabbed a suitcase from our closet, put it down on the ground, and she began packing uh, to move to Dubai. She put clothes in the suitcase. She put her favorite books in the suitcase. And then real quietly, while I was still on the phone, she walked to the front door of our apartment and she just stood there, just quietly. Until I got off the phone, I heard a yell from the front door. Uh, It was Gloria. And she said, let's go. I'm ready. (laughs) I was like, ready to go what? Where? I I mean, I am a bit hungry. Maybe she wants to go eat. I walked to the front door and there's Gloria with her jacket on, which I don't really know why she had a jacket on, but, but she had a jacket on for Dubai and her suitcase and she was standing there all ready to go. It was her way of telling me, I'm in. Let's go. Let's go to Dubai and be involved in church planting. Let's go and be involved in proclaiming the gospel. And so... You know, I, I, of course, at that point, I had to remind her we didn't have money for plane tickets, nor did we have plane tickets. We had to finish our jobs, finish our theological education. Uh, But, of course, who was I to let reality ruin that moment? I was excited, too. Uh, We were ready. And so for the next three years, we prayed and we prepared and we asked that God would move before us. And so we took out a map of Dubai and we began praying all we knew was we knew where UCCD was on the outskirts of town, and so we began praying for the other side of town, on the other side of the creek, this place called Dira. And so we drew a square on our map, and we just began to pray that a gospel witness, a gospel presence, would be started in the middle of that square. Now we couldn't have imagined that we would move here in August of 2008 to a country that we would love, and that in February of 2010, Redeemer Church of Dubai would be started right there in the center of that square. God had been faithful to go before us. He had been faithful to pave the way. And now, after being here four years, we absolutely love this city. We love the people here. And most of all, we love this church. We're amazed at what God has done in just a short time. And He has grown this church in gospel depth. We've seen lives changed by the power of this message. And so we are in awe that those prayers long ago have turned into reality. And so, I want to ask us a question this morning as we look at our passage. How did this happen? I mean, how was this church built? How was any ministry built for that matter? I mean, where do you get your strength to do ministry? From where does our ministry strength come from? Those are the questions we want to address this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me back to the book of Joshua as we continue our look at our faithful God. You'll see it towards the early part of your Bible. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift. We got a box of Bibles at the welcome table on your way out. We'd love everybody to have a copy of the Word of God, that you could study it throughout the week, that you could immerse yourself in God's revelation to us. So please pick one up on your way out. We'll be looking at Joshua chapters 5 and 6 this morning, but I want to focus on chapter 5 verse 13 on through chapter 6 verse 5. So why don't we go ahead and read that portion together now. Let me read beginning in verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, "Are you for us or for your for our enemies?" "Neither," he replied, "but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come." Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, "What message does my Lord have for his servant?" The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets Of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound the long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Well, friends, this morning we'll see three things about the nature of ministry. Three things about ministry, if you're taking notes. This will serve as the outline this morning. The first is the problem we all have. The problem we all have. Second point is the attempt we all make. The attempt we all make. The third point is the hope we can all have. The hope we can all have. The problem, the attempt, and the hope. Let's start with point number one, the problem we all have. Now remember, the Israelites, they've been going through a lot, haven't they? I mean, they just finished 40 years of desert wandering, complaining about the manna, complaining about the food, hating life, hating Moses, hating God. And yet all along, God was gracious. Despite their sin, he persevered them. And now these same Israelites, they were at the entrance of the promised land again. Actually, a new generation were up there, right up against the land. But staring them square in the face was the first major hurdle, the mighty city of Jericho. It was said that the walls of Jericho were so high that they reached the heavens. You can imagine their thoughts at this point. God... God, is there another way? I mean, we've been nomads for 40 years. We're not ready for this fight. We need some training. We need some strategy. We need something. I mean, during their years in the desert, the Israelites certainly had faced nothing like this. They were probably complaining to their general Joshua. Look at what you've done. you brought us out of the out of the out of the Egypt, slavery to the promised land, only to die at the walls of Jericho. We'd rather. Rather go back to Egypt as slaves. And so in verse thirteen, Joshua, the commander, the general, there, goes up near Jericho. And he's there looking at the wall, and he's probably remembering forty years ago when the spies came back afraid, saying, You know, God is right, the land is indeed flowing with milk. This land is flowing with honey. It's amazing. It's great. It's everything we've ever dreamed of. It's everything God said it would be, but there's a small little problem in the land, right? There's, there's, there's giants there. And so ten of the spies convinced the rest of the Israelites to stay out, to stay put. Only two spies came back and said, God can do it. Remember, it was Caleb and it was Joshua. Joshua. So now 40 years later, after the first generation had died, the same man, Joshua, he stands there at the wall and he remembers. Again at the gates, without military technology, experience or training, everyone wondering how. Their parents were slaves, they were wandering nomads, what could they do? Maybe Joshua was doubting himself as well. I mean, he's 80 years old now. Maybe he's thinking to himself, my buddies are retired collecting seashells at the beach and I'm standing here at the gate, the leader of freed slaves, no battering rams, no catapults, no moving towers, their only weapons were slings and arrows and spears, which were like straws against the mighty walls of Jericho. There was no earthly hope for success. This task was clearly insurmountable. Well, friends, if you were with us two and a half years ago when Redeemer was started, you know that's how we felt as a launch team when we were sent out from UCCD to plant this church. As soon as we stepped out in Deer, we felt the walls of Jericho towering over us. And we were wondering, Lord, what on earth are you doing? How are we going to find a meeting location that will welcome a church in this part of town? We wondered, how will we find people? Will, Will anyone actually come to the church? Will we have enough money I mean, there's so many questions. There are so many fears going through our minds, racing through our hearts, each one of them like a layer in the massive walls of Jericho. Maybe this is you this morning. Maybe you're facing this wall right now, and you're facing a ministry task so great, you're wondering, God, how is this going to work out? I know you've called me to do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I need a miracle. I can't do it on my own. Friends, are you feeling desperate for God's strength in your ministry this morning? Maybe you're leading and shepherding a growing small group here in the country. Perhaps you're actively sharing the gospel at work or maybe in your schools. You've begun a Bible study there to evangelize, to share the gospel with your friends who don't know Jesus. Maybe you've strategically moved into a specific neighborhood just so that you can proclaim the gospel there. Maybe a part of the city that's unreached where there's no gospel Proclamation going on, and you're there, but this task, this ministry, seems quite large. You feel the walls of Jericho towering over you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not feeling desperate at all. Perhaps, like so many in our city, you've believed in the lie of Dubai we've talked about this before this lie that permeates our city and our country you've begun to believe that money will make you happy or maybe there's nothing insurmountable in your life because you've lived your life not in ministry for god but for your own pleasure perhaps money has indeed grabbed the hold of you the extra salary is nice and so you work long hours filling your souls with the praise of men forgetting the store of treasure in heaven where moth and rust will never ever 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 destroy Or perhaps it's career success. Maybe moving up the career ladder here in the UAE has driven you. It's become the most important thing in your life. And here's how you know this is true. It's that when you don't get that job promotion you've been yearning for, or when you lose that job that you love, you end up being absolutely crushed. You feel like your life is crumbling. At that point, you know that you've made your job, you've made your career an idol. Or how about beauty? Beauty? or maybe comfort, or having a perfect family. Whatever it is, our natural tendency is to customize our lifestyle, not to serve God, but to maximize our own personal happiness. So maybe you need to say to yourself today, you know what, I've been living as if Dubai is a parenthesis in my spiritual life. I'm just kind of taking a break. I'll get back involved in ministry in my home church when I go back home, whenever that is. But now, I'm just kind of living in this parenthesis, this time out, this Time in between where I'm going to enjoy my life. I'll make my money now. I'll build my career now. And then later on, I'll get plugged back in ministry. Later on, I'll get excited about evangelism. Later on, I'll get connected to the church. Later on, I'll do this. Later on, I'll do that. But friend, maybe you need to say to yourself today, what has God brought me to the Arabian Peninsula to do? And friend, I would tell you that God has brought you for such a time as this. Friend, don't waste it. Don't waste it. Don't waste this time. It's not an accident that you're here. God, the sovereign creator of the entire universe, who rules every centimeter of our lives and every centimeter of this earth, has sovereignly brought each and every one of us, not only in this room now, but to live for such a time as this in the United Arab Emirates. Friends, serve him who brought you here and even though the ministry task may seem insurmountable, maybe you don't know even where to start. Maybe you feel the walls towering around you. Well, friend, if you read the Bible, you're in good company, aren't you? I mean, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians that he came to them in weakness and in fear. And he says that we are fools for Christ. We are weak, but he is strong. Friends, this is a story of the Bible. This is a story of David there In front of Goliath, it's a story of Joshua. In front of Jericho, it's a story of all of us here in the United Arab Emirates. Now, all of us are like Joshua with a sling and arrow in our hands, facing the daunting walls of Jericho. We're hopeless on our own. We need help. It's the problem we all face. Can't live a victorious Christian life or a healthy God-glorifying ministry on our own. It's the problem all of us have. And so there's there's an attempt that we make. That's the first point. There's a problem. Second point... In the passage, it's the attempt that we all make in ministry. It's the attempt we all make. You see there, before Joshua leaves the wall there in verse 13, out of nowhere, unannounced, an awesome warrior appears. Perhaps there, looking at the walls, he notices something in the periphery of his vision. There, an armed warrior with a sword drawn. It's obvious this guy is not just taking a midnight stroll. But Joshua's a bold 80-year-old brother, isn't he? He goes right up to the warrior, and he says, you either fight me to the death, or you bow down on your knee. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be running like the wind at this point. If I see a man with a drawn sword, and I'm in the desert all by myself, I'm running, going to call my mama on the phone and ask her for help. But Joshua's a bold brother. He goes up to this warrior, and he says, are you for us, or are you against us? These are the two options. You can either fight me to the death, Or you can submit to me, what is it going to be? And the warrior gives kind of a shocking answer, doesn't he? He says, Neither. I mean, wait a minute, you can't say no, you can't say neither. Either you're for me or against me, it's got to be one or another. It's not a multiple choice test here. But the warrior says, Neither. Then he tells Joshua, Why? Neither for I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. And with that comment, instantly Joshua bows the knee. Joshua bows down in worship of this warrior. Why does he bow down? Well, it's because he realizes this isn't just any warrior. It's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus. He is the Christ who in the fullness of time will be born of a woman to redeem us from the bondage of sin. You have here the angel of the Lord who appears on occasion throughout the Old Testament. Now we know this for a couple of reasons. Because in verse 14 we see Joshua falls down at the feet of this angel and worships the angelic being. We know throughout scripture in Exodus chapter 20, over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that angels and pe- angels and people are never to be worshiped in the book of revelation john begins to worship an angel and he's strongly rebuked here in our passage there is no rebuke this figure gladly accepts the worship of jesus and then secondly the scene in verse 15 mirrors the scene with moses in exodus 3 5 in the episode of the burning bush the same language is used Because deity is present in both scenes. Take off your sandals, because where you are standing is holy ground. Now, holiness means that there's none like you, God, has incomparable perfection. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that there's no one holy like the Lord, no one besides you. Miriam, in her song after the Red Sea Crossing, says, Who is like unto thee, glorious unto holiness? Now, friends, this is not a hologram, it's not a ghost, it's not an angel. It's a preliminary manifestation of the eternal Word of God. And that's why Joshua falls face down. It's traumatic for him. He realizes that he is in the presence of the Holy One, the magnificent Christ, reveals Joshua's imperfections, and he just falls to the ground in worship. Though terrified in that moment, Joshua must have felt great protection. Well, then, why did the Lord answer Joshua's question neither? No. Why didn't he respond? Yes, Joshua, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm on your team. Let's go get Jericho. No, he's telling Joshua, here's the deal, buddy. The question is not whether I'm for you, but whether you're for me, because I'm in charge here. The whole power of the conquest was not in the hands of men, but in the hands of God. God did not come to fight for Joshua or for Israel, but rather to take charge of the campaign. He's not on our side, but we are to be on his side. I mean, stop and think for a minute, the scope of this universe, that this creator and sustainer rules over. I was reading earlier this week about how astronomers recently found three new planets located 400 kilometers from Earth. I mean, it's hard to even get our minds around this. But just to give you an idea, if you could travel one million kilometers per hour listening while listening to my sermon today. You'd have to listen to me preach this sermon five hundred and thirty thousand times before you got there. It's a lot of preaching. It's a lot of listening to me preach, probably. You no, know, God, the creator and sustainer of this universe is huge. Colossians one says Tom that Tom read for us earlier says that he is before all things, and in him he holds all things together. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus holds the universe together with the word of his power. That he is the awesome creator and sustainer who just spoke. And it was. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings, the creator, sustainer of the entire universe. Now friends, do you ask somebody like that to be your assistant? Now the notion of this is ridiculous. And yet everybody comes to Jesus like this at some point. I mean, Jesus, will you pitch in? Will you lend me a hand over here? I've got important work to do. I've got financial struggles or relationship issues or a church to plant. See, if you've come to him seeking his help with your agenda, you've missed it. The Holy One of Israel says he cannot be enlisted into anyone's army. That's why Christ says, Joshua, neither. Neither. He's saying, I'm in charge here. He's telling Joshua, I will do what I promise. I will be victorious. I'm holy, awesome, majestic. Must have been a humbling message for Joshua to hear. It's humbling for him, it's humbling for us, and yet it's reassuring that Emmanuel has come, that he is in charge. And yet, if we're honest, our tendency is to live in opposition to that. It's the, the attempt we all make to live life, to do ministry in our own strength, adding Jesus as a supplement or a spiritual power boost in times of need. It's like a mother trying to slip some healthy vegetables into macaroni and cheese so her kids get extra vitamins and minerals to make them strong. But Christ is not a supplement. We will not live for God's glory if we treat Christ this way as an add on to our strength, our schedules, our goals. Yet this is a futile attempt we all make when we serve God in our own strength. And yet, friends, there is hope in our ministry and there's hope in our lives. That's the third point. There's a problem, there's an attempt we make, but the third thing, there's a hope that we can all have. And Jesus is telling Joshua, and he's telling us that I'm going to fight before you. Follow me. And he gives Joshua what's got to be the worst battle plan ever written down on paper. You can almost picture Joshua right now, right, listening to this angel with the battle plan. He's probably thinking, what's it going to be? A full full assault, a sneak attack of some kind? Put yourself in Joshua's shoes as he hears those instructions. Here's my plan. Once you gather your military, you're going to march around the city once a day for six days, quietly. Just close your mouth. Just walk around in a circle around the city. And then on the seventh day... While you're marching, you're going to blow some trumpets and give a loud shout because that'll scare those guys, <laughs> right? That'll, that'll do it for you. I mean, think about it. Each day they'd walk around in silence. It was bizarre. And let's be honest, it was weird. I mean, if you're Joshua, you're wanting a second opinion at this point. Lord, are you sure about this? You want us to form a marching band, I mean, I'm all for marching bands, but this is strange. Why does God do this? Why did God design this battle plan for taking the first city in the promised land? Don't miss what God is doing here. He was divinely orchestrating the events so that only he could get the glory for what would happen. He was divinely orchestrating the events so that only he could get the glory for what would happen. If you read the rest of Joshua 6 later on this afternoon, you'll see them take the city of Jericho exactly as Jesus has outlined. God gives Jericho over to a marching band. The walls fall down at the sound of shouts and the city is taken over. But you notice carefully as you read the rest of the passage what you don't see. You don't see the Israelites going up to the trumpet players and telling them what an incredible job they did. Nobody's saying, Abisha, man, the way you played that trumpet, it was nails. It was great. And Nimrod, you hit that high C in an incredible way. It was brilliant. You guys played so well that those walls just tumbled right down. No, not at all. Instead, you see the people of Israel recognizing that only God could have done this. Victory was never in doubt. See, back in verse 2, we see the perfect form of the verb, I have delivered. The victory was already won. Israel's God had already given Jericho over to Joshua. It was a done deal. God had delivered them, it was all God's work. Not only did God take it down through some trumpets, but consider what happened earlier in chapter 5. We look back down at verse 5, it says, All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. Circumcision was an important sign of God's covenant people there in the Old Testament. And so there's several questions that come up as we read the story. It's interesting to us. Why hadn't they been circumcised? Well, we don't know. Maybe they were busy traveling as nomads, though I would say it was more likely that they held the law and the promises of God in low regard. I mean, verse 6 highlights their disobedience towards God. They had doubted whether God was going to provide the land, and they renounced the covenant. But think about it. This has got to be the worst time in the world to be circumcised. It's the perfect time to attack. They had just received a report of the terror of the people in the land. It says in verse 1 that their hearts melted, that the Canaanites no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Reports of the Jordan River crossing had become like a horror story to them. I mean, worldly wisdom says, go, attack, don't wait another minute. This is the time. But instead, God tells Joshua to make knives of flint. He calls them to circumcise all the males born in the desert. If you're Joshua, you're thinking, what are we doing? I mean, here's our chance. If we get circumcised, they could come a- after us while we're recovering yet they go into enemy territory, and that's the first thing they, that they do. And they wait three days, defenseless. And yet again, God protected his people. God was making it clear to the Israelites in this chapter, throughout the entire book of Joshua, throughout the entire Bible, and he's making it clear to us that God brings about ministry success. That God is our ministry strength. I mean, friends, this is really the story of the church. So how did this church get built? Not because of capable leaders, not because of a great launch team, not because of you, not because of me, but because of God. It was his work. And as the angel of the Lord indicated with his drawn sword before Joshua, Jesus has gone ahead of us. He has fought for us, and he has done that from the very beginning. I mean, consider just for a few minutes God's work here at Redeemer. I mean, consider this very meeting location that we're in. I mean, after we had to leave Dira City Center this last summer because of renovations, we literally had nowhere to go. We had less than two weeks to find a place. I was gone. The staff worked tirelessly to find a place. It was difficult. And then finally, in God's grace and in his perfect timing, he provided this place for us to meet. And it's been an amazing place. All the people that have found us uh, from these apartments nearby, folks that have literally stepped off buses who have come on in. Rumors have spread uh, to hotel guests who have stumbled in. On Christmas Eve, we had a number of people who stumbled in because of banners throughout the hotel. I've even heard a story of one person finding out about our church at an embassy in Tanzania. God has clearly spread the word here, providing a place for us to meet in the heart of Dubai. I mean, consider the people that have come to faith. I think this is most exciting to us as men and women who have come to know Jesus Christ through this church. I think of one man who came here... uh, not believing in the gospel, having a little bit of knowledge of Jesus Christ, sitting under the preaching of God's word over the course of three or four months, realizing that Jesus was the Savior of the world. He repented and believed here in this room, became a believer. I think of one lady who came here thinking that she was a Christian, raised by good Christian parents, having Christian education, and then realizing that she had never personally repented and believed in Christ. And again, here through this church, became a believer. I think of another guy who's depressed and discouraged, fighting very spiritual warfare, wanted to do whatever it took to get out of the desert, and yet God grabbed a hold of her with a message of hope, and her sorrow has now turned to joy. She has turned to Christ for salvation. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like this here at the church. And I'm excited also that God is expanding his kingdom regarding church planting. He has provided, and this is amazing, amazing news for us to celebrate this morning, that God in his grace has provided us with land up in Ras up in R.A.K., to build an evangelical church building. We are thrilled as we begin to pray that God would allow more churches, more gospel witnesses to be built, that through various connections, God has provided a patch of land. I've been there, I've had my shoes dirtied in the sand, a big plot of land up there. To build his church. And I went up there two weeks ago with Pastor John Fulmer from United Christian Church of Dubai, and we walked up to the royal palace there in RAK. I was excited, I was a bit nervous because we went up there to go meet the king, to go meet the ruler of RAK. So I dusted off my, my suit for the first time in a while, put it on, was nervous. We drove up there, we walked into the palace, sat there with His Highness Sheikh Saud bin Sakr al Qasimi. We sat there talking to him, thanking him for this gracious provision. It was the first time in my life I called someone Your Royal Highness, and I wasn't joking. I meant it seriously. It was quite a fun to say, right there with the king, Your Royal Highness. It was a joy to be with him. What a kind, what a gracious man. What a joyful man who wants to see freedom of religion there in that place. And in his grace, God has gone before us in providing land there. And so pray for us. Pray that we would be able to see a gospel-centered presence up in the Northern Emirates. This plot of land is halfway between R.A.K., the city, and Um Umm al-Kawain. And so together with the United Christian Church of Dubai, we're partnering together to see a church planted there. We're praying for a pastor, praying for finances to to, to be raised. We're praying that the gospel would be clear up in the Northern Emirates. So pray for us and praise God that he indeed goes before us, orchestrating these things to be a corporate display of God's glory to the world. And we've seen firsthand here in the UAE what Joshua was learning. In his farewell address in Joshua 23, he gives credit to God for all these victories. And he says, You have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. And Joshua is is saying, give the Lord glory for what he has done. Who made the flow of the river stop so the entire nation could walk across? It was God. Who made the Jericho walls fall? It was God. Who gave them victory? It was God. Who started Redeemer Church of Dubai? It was God. Who's brought men and women to faith? It was God. Who's given land in R.A.K.? It was God. God himself has gone before us. It was all God. This is how God works. He is the one who fights before us. He is the one who takes us through the greatest ministry battles. But it's not just ministry battles. That's not the greatest news that we have this morning. As we see to consider this passage, we realize that the greatest battle wasn't fought on the battlefield of Canaan or in Dubai or RAK. No, the ultimate hope we have is in another battle. And you think back to earlier in the story, the Lord there with his drawn sword. And the reason Joshua was scared when he realized it was the Lord is that no one can face the sword of the Lord. Now, why didn't the sword come on Joshua in that moment? That's an interesting question. We know that a sinful person can't face a holy God. Tim Keller was really helpful for me to get clarity on all this as he traces this idea of the sword of the Lord throughout salvation history. And looking back at Adam and Eve after God drove them out of the garden, it says that the Lord banished them from the garden and the cherubim and flaming sword guarded it. He said that anyone who tries to get into the presence of the holy will have to face the sword. And so when Moses, and then Moses later on in Exodus says that he wants to see God's glory, God says, no one can face me and live. So why didn't the sword fall on Joshua? Why didn't the sword take him out? Well, in Genesis 15, God made a promise to Abraham. God tells him to take a sword to cut a bunch of animals in a half and make a walkway. And what God did is he fashioned an old-fashioned covenant and he walked between the flesh God appeared as a smoking fire and passed between the pieces. And he said, if I don't bless you like I say I'm going to bless you, may I go under the sword like these animals. And right before Jericho, right before our story, the Israelites had celebrated the Passover. Why? Well, Because the lamb goes under the sword and blood is sprayed on the doorposts. The Passover lamb represented the commander of the armies of the Lord that you can meet and live. Why? Because later on in history, this great warrior returns. This time he would come in the fullness of humanity and in the fullness of deity. Yet in weakness, not in human strength, he would love perfectly. And instead of fighting with the sword, he takes the sword of judgment upon himself. So that the sword of the Lord will be for us and not against us. Now Jesus, this great warrior, came to be the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Romans 3 says... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Later, Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus' body and blood were shed so that we could be forgiven. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And for our sake, Jesus, who knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The so friends, we are all hopeless and helpless to live the life we should. But thankfully, there is one who did. There's one who loved perfectly, and that was Jesus himself. If you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Christ, we're glad you've come. But if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you're still up in arms against the Lord, the rightful ruler of the universe, friend, ask yourself this question this morning. How can I stand against this sovereign king of the universe? Friends, there's no better place to put your hope than in Christ Jesus. This is the way of reconciliation. Mark 1 gives us instruction. He tells us that to be saved, to flee the wrath and justice of God, to enter fellowship with him, one must repent of their sin, turning from our sin and believing in Christ Jesus to save us. Oh, friends, if you're here and you've never done that, I urge you, I ask you to consider doing that today for Christ is the one who saves, for Christ is the one who has gone before us, taking our penalty of sin, taking our penalty of death upon himself so that we could live in fellowship with him forever. And fellow Christian, this is the hope we have in life. This is the hope that we have in ministry. This is our ministry strength. It is the grace of God. Have you forgotten it this morning? Have you begun to rely on human wisdom or human strength Maybe you know this intellectually, but how about practically? No, we aren't saved by trying hard. We aren't successful in ministry by doing better or working harder. No, instead, consider that Jesus himself is the ultimate warrior who will go before us. Trust in him, rely on his strength, follow his lead as the captain of the Lord of hosts. And, friends, if you're afraid in ministry, you don't understand what's going on in this very moment. Perhaps you haven't come to grips that he is in charge. He tells you to serve him. He's the one who's loved you perfectly. So friends, the gospel is the good news for our ministry. Consider this, that the sword came upon Christ and allows us to find our hope in, not in our ever-changing circumstances, but in the never-changing circumstance of the gospel As Christians, we remember that in embracing Christ by faith, our sins are completely forgiven. They're completely washed away. And now we have strength through the work of the Holy Spirit to minister for him, for his name's sake. Friends, there is nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? He is our Emmanuel. God is with us. And so friends, let's press on in faith today as we spread the gospel in this place. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we rejoice in the ultimate warrior who has come to save us from our sins. We praise you for our new life in Christ and we thank you for the power we now have to serve you. We ask that you would give us strength to spread your name. Oh, Father, would revival break out in this land? Oh, Father, would your gospel pour out like rain on this place? Would men, women, and children bow down at the knee to worship the true God? Oh, Father, would your kingdom expand? Oh oh Lord God, lead us, go before us, change hearts, change our hearts this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.